Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to New Life Midtown. I want to invite you guys to stand. We're going to worship together. We're going to lift up the King of Kings with expectant hearts in Jesus' name. Let our praise be your welcome. Let our songs be a sign. We are here for you. Let your breath let your breath come from heaven. Fill our hearts with your life. We are here for you. Yes, we are, Lord. We are here for you. Sing to you, our hearts are open. Let it come. 
Good morning, church. It's good to be together with you this morning, worshiping Christ our King, gathered together in his presence as beloved brothers and sisters, bound together by the peace of the Holy Spirit. It truly is a joy to be in the Lord's presence together with you. For those of you who may not have grown up in a liturgical tradition of faith today, is the first Sunday of Advent, which is actually uh, the first day of the new year in the church calendar. And so just be at peace. The next few weeks, we're going to be teaching you about the season of Advent, about the spirit of Advent. We're going to help you understand this. My colleague, Pastor Jonathan, and I have been sitting in this now for about seven years, and it has shaped us. It has shaped our spiritual formation. It has shaped this part of the season of the year for us. It has helped us to slow down, to resist, prophetically resist the tide of the culture. It has helped us to kind of fight against consumerism and self-centeredness. It has helped us to really align our hearts with what a big part of the church globally and historically has been doing at this time of year. And that is very simply waiting and watching and longing for the soon coming of our King. I want you to imagine if you could, and it might be a little difficult for us to do this. I want you to imagine being a part of the people of Israel. I want you to imagine actually being enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, crying out, groaning under the weight of oppression And longing for God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, to make good on his promise. Like, feel that pain, feel that tension, feel that suffering and that longing. God, you've you've given us promises. Where where are you? When are you going to break in? When are you going to deliver us? I want you to identify for a moment, if you would, imagine belonging to the people of Israel, belonging to their story. And you find yourself in exile. You find yourself under Babylonian rule or Persian rule. And God settles in and he says, guys, you're going to be here for at least 70 years. So just strap in and relax. You're still my people and I'm still your God. And I still want you to be faithful in the midst of exile. And now I want you to imagine if if you could for 400 years, the presence and the voice of God has gone silent. And a man burst on the scene. Power of the Holy Spirit comes upon a young girl. Power of the Holy Spirit comes upon an older lady. And all of a sudden, what's awakened inside of you is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of promise. And you begin to sense in your spirit, could this be the hour of history when God arrives, when God makes good on his promise to draw near to his people? Everything I've just described for you is what we call Advent. And that's where the people of Israel were as they awaited Christ to come for the very first time. We know as Christ followers that Jesus did come. But we stand in between his first appearing and we stand in between his second coming. And so we find ourselves very much like the people and the story of Israel again, longing and waiting for God to come. I mean, I don't know about you, but the moment everything broke out in Israel, there was this cry inside of me that was just like, God, we need you to come. 
we need you to come. Like we need the second coming, the arrival of our King. We need you to come and make every broken place right. We need you to heal every wounded place of our society. Like there's this, every year that I live, I feel like the intensity of the ache of Advent grows stronger and stronger and stronger. So friends, we welcome you. We invite you into this season over the next few weeks. I am so excited and I'm humbled and I'm delighted to enter into the next few weeks with you. They're going to be meaningful. And I want to pray for us. I want to consecrate the next few weeks to the spirit of Advent to come and wash over us, to settle us, to bring peace to us, and to heal us. Each week we will light a candle on the Advent wreath. It's up here in the front if you can't see it, to illuminate a theme for the week. And today we light the first candle of the Advent wreath, which stands for hope. We light this candle as a sign of our hope, which confronts the bleak darkness and despair that is so prevalent in the world around us. So may we stay awake to God's activity in our midst. May we find ourselves eagerly looking, watching, waiting, even longing as we wait in expectation that God is with us right now, working to restore us to fullness of life with him and with one another. I'd like for us to read together, if we could, Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord our righteous Savior. Now, as I light this, I want to invite you just to take a moment, open your hands wide, and ask yourself where you need the hope of God to break into your life. What area of your life, your family, your health, your finances, your anticipation of the future has been colored by despair? What part of your life has been darkened by just dismal hopelessness? And in that place, we're going to invite the hope of the Lord as I light this candle. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you resurrect hope? Would you you impart the hope of the living God and the hope of eternity and the hope of your promise to every single one of us in this place? In Jesus' name, brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to pray this prayer together with me, and then we'll go back into worship. Faithful God, your promises stand unshaken throughout all generations. Renew us in hope that we may be awake and alert, watching for the glorious return of Jesus Christ, our judge and Savior, who lives and reigns with you, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.
Yes, Lord Jesus, we eagerly await your return. Can we just take it back to our roots and just worship King Jesus this morning? Sing, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Sing, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to Sing, he's the light of the world. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. A whole of a life spent Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal? 
and open the scroll. The Lion of Judah, yes, he is, who conquered the grave. He is David, true, and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Oh, from every people and tribe, every nation and tongue. Oh, he has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of our blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? Yes, church. Come on, let's respond and sing. He is. He is. He Everything you 
get an offering. Lift it up in praise. And it's you we adore. Singing. Beloved, let's participate with that for a few moments. Hands lifted high to the Lord. God, we long for you. We long for you. We long for your arrival. We ache for it, God, deep. In the deepest parts of who we are, Lord, we are not right without you. (sighs) The slow and steady work of sanctification, God, can seem like it's taking too long. We ask, oh God, that you would come, heal us, restore us, reconcile broken relationships, oh God, piece things back together that have been shattered by disappointment, that have been shattered, Lord, by this world, by our own poor choices. Oh, Redeemer God, we ask that you would restore in a way that only you can restore, where you make beauty out of ashes. Ah, God, we long for you. I want to read this over you out of John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled, but believe in God. Believe also in me, his son Jesus. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus later says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I just want that promise to to settle deep into our hearts today. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come back for you. And so God, we put our hope and we put our trust in your unchanging character and your covenant faithfulness that you have displayed from the moment Adam and Eve were created to the moment you will return. This large story that we belong to is a story of a God who never fails, of a God who fulfills promises, of a God who is faithful even in long stretches of time where it feels like, "Uh, God, are you ever going to answer? How long, O Lord? But Father, I pray today that the hope of eternity and the hope of the gospel and the hope of God himself would be planted, would be watered, would be resurrected in every single one of us. And I pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you, beloved. You may have a seat today in the presence of the Lord.
You may notice over the next few Sundays together leading into Christmas Eve that the shape and the tone of our services may feel just a little bit different than our normal services. I mean, by now, like we, we're, we're, we're a church that likes to be vocal, right? We're a church that likes to be expressive. We like to clap our hands. We like to, but the tone of Advent isn't really that. It's not quite celebration yet. We'll get that at Christmas and Christmas tide. But we're participating with a particular mood of the Spirit in Advent. And it's not that we've got to be broody and dreadful. It's just that we recognize that there are certain moods in different seasons of the spiritual life and journey. And one of the things that we never, ever, ever want to advocate here in this house is that worship is just putting on a good face. That's not what worship is. Worship is giving God glory regardless of the face that we have Regardless of what the world is doing to us, regardless of where we find ourselves in this season of life, worship is saying, God, you are worthy, and you are at work, and you are good, and you are doing good things right in the middle of the deepest and darkest parts of the season of life that I find myself in. So Advent helps us to be honest, and it helps us to participate with that and worship God authentically. Amen. I want to just encourage you very quickly on your giving for those of you who belong to New Life Midtown and you find yourself to be uh, faithful givers to this house. Again, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your worship of the Lord. Thank you for being faithful in the hard journey of stewarding what God has given to you and finding yourself worshiping him out of obedience and faithfulness to give back to him. Uh, there were many years in the earlier years of my pastoral journey where I wouldn't thank people. I was like, I shouldn't be thanking people for that. That's our job. We should be get... But as the pastor of this house, it's amazing what just, you know, 19 years in pastoral ministry and 13 as a lead pastor does to you. You just have a little perspective. Like, you don't, you don't have to be faithful to the Lord, and I'm grateful that you are. I'm grateful that you trust God with your giving. I benefit from that. This house benefits from that. Our beautiful, like, by the way, wasn't this so beautiful when you drove in today? And the foyer and the, like, amen, amen. I just want to thank Martha and so many of our staff members and our volunteers who worked, guys, tirelessly every day this week transforming this church into a beautiful home that we get to celebrate during this season. But part of that is because we have people that give faithfully, and I just want to say thank you for that. We do something around here every week as we worship God with our giving. We pray over our, our offering, and we do that with a giving liturgy. So whether you give earlier in the week or whether you give at the end of the month, uh, whether you give online or whether you give in a physical check or cash, this is our moment in the service for us to pause and for us to deem this moment as holy. Because that's what it is. You're offering to the Lord he makes holy. So this is our way to punctuate that. So I want to invite you to pray over the tithes and the offerings of Midtown together with this prayer. Father, you are the abundant giver of all good things. Train us to delight in holy dependence. Lead us to honor you with all of our resources and free us from the deceitfulness of greed and earthly riches. Teach us to give generously with open hands and joy-filled hearts that we might receive abundantly and flourish for the sake of others and your purposes in the earth. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and your household as you give this morning.
Today is a very special day for a number of reasons. Pastor Jonathan is going to come and he's going to lead us uh, in a word that tees up Advent. But it's also a very special Sunday on a very practical, practical reason. For those of you who are joining us for the very first time today, welcome, by the way, to New Life Midtown. It's our joy to host you. It's our delight to have you worship God with us. My name is Jade Duncan. My wife and I have been here in the city now for 19 years. And two and a half years ago, our church, previously Antioch, merged in with New Life Church. We did that on the basis of a long-standing relationship that we had with many, many, many of the congregation pastors and senior team leaders at New Life. What I did not know is that when Pastor Brady, our senior pastor over all of our eight congregations, came here 16 years ago, that he inherited $26 million of debt. That is a massive weight mentally and emotionally for any one person or any one organization to shoulder. And through that man's faithful stewardship and responsibility, through the faithful stewardship of so many of the senior leaders at New Life, and let's be honest, by the faithfulness of God's people and God himself, that number has been reduced all the way down to $1.9 million. It's incredible. We collectively, as the leaders of New Life, I'm including myself in that, have really felt a strong burden of the Lord beginning with January of 2022 that, that we need to be aggressive and we need to release our faith to pay this debt off. And we're calling it a legacy offering, which I love because our freedom financially is going to affect the next generation. It's going to affect our sons and our daughters, our children that are coming up after us. The expansion of the kingdom of God through New Life Church is going to touch your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren, and I believe even your great and your great and your great grandchildren for generations to come. How many of you know that God's in the business of working through generations? That He is a multi generational God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I want to give a quick scripture here just to give us a little bit of biblical and theological point of reference for our faith and our giving today. By the way, if you're new today and you're like, what is happening here? We are bringing a special offering that we've been preparing for for the past few weeks. We're going to bring it physically. If you're new today, feel no pressure at all. This is kind of family business right now. But there is biblical precedent for this. In the early hours of the early church, and by early hours, I mean really within the first few decades, there was a major famine that hit the city of Jerusalem and the church of Jerusalem. Paul, being an apostle who was aware of this, leveraged his apostolic scope with all the churches outside of Jerusalem. And essentially what he said to them was, guys, you would not even exist if it were not for what God did in Jerusalem. And you guys, you know what? New Life Midtown and New Life Downtown and New Life East and New Life Manitou and New Life Chinese Church and Friday night, we would not exist. Like this congregation would not exist if it were not for the faithful, living leadership and love of those leaders at New Life North. So when I look at this and I think about this, I think this is really is a joy and it's an honor for me personally and for us and my family to give back to New Life North. In the same way that Paul exhorted those churches underneath his apostolic leadership to give to the church of Jerusalem, I'm exhorting you to give today. And I want to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Read along with me if you would, not out loud. And now, brothers and sisters... We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, that in the midst of a very severe trial, 
Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And beloved, my heart today is that we would see what we're doing today as a privilege. I count this as a privilege. My spirit bears witness that what we're doing today is a privilege. That we get to enter into a place of solidarity and say, New Life North, we're standing with you. New Life East, you guys need a building and we're standing with you. New Life Downtown, you guys need a building and we're standing with you. New Life Manitou, you need a building and we're standing with you. Like, we have been so fortunate. We've been so blessed. I'm so grateful. The Lord dropped a building literally into our lap. And I want that same goodness and that same kindness to touch every one of our churches. I long for that. I hope for that. I believe for that. I release my faith for that. And I believe that what we're doing today is going to help contribute to that. So here's how I'd like to administer this. Actually, there's a couple of more verses I would just want to read, and then we're going to just get into this. And they exceeded our expectations, verse 5. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, you excel in faith, you excel in speech, you excel in knowledge, you excel in complete earnestness and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And that's what I pray over this house. I pray that we would excel in the grace of giving today. So here's how I'd like to administer this very, very easily. Because this is a legacy offering, I want to invite our kids to come forward. I want to invite our children to come forward. And if you're here and you're 18 or under, I'd like for you to come all the way up here, 18 or under. That was, that was, that was darling. <laughs> and they're going to stand up here kind of as just a, just a prophetic picture. They're going to stand up here as a prophetic picture. Beautiful. Yeah, just line them all up here. I want us to see what we're giving into. We're not just giving into buildings. We're not just giving into debt. We're giving into future generations, sons and daughters, grandchildren, beloved babies, beautiful ones. That's what we're giving to. And we're giving to see that the kingdom of God is strong and bright in their lives. Look at this. I love this, guys. It's tangible. The work of the kingdom of God in the lives of the next generation, it's tangible. It's good. And it's bright. And so I'm going to bless these kids as I bless this offering. After I pray, I'm going to release those that are kindergarten through fifth grade. I'm going to release you guys upstairs. I'm going to release all the older ones to your seats. And then we're just going to have a time of meeting and greeting like we always do. But in that space of connection, if you have brought a physical gift, I would invite you to come up and bring it up here to the front after I release the kids. So would you stretch forth your hands to these children? And while you're stretching your hands towards them, we're also stretching it to these empty buckets up here that represent our giving to the next generation. Almighty God, I thank you. I thank you that you're not a singular generation, God. Lord, I thank you that the work of the kingdom doesn't rest on my generation alone. It didn't rest on my dad's generation or my granddad's generation. The work of the kingdom of God is like leaven that slowly works from generation to generation. 
And Lord, as I look at these beautiful sons and daughters of the faith, Lord, my hope is elevated today. My faith is kindled because I know, Lord, that you are at work in these sons and in these daughters. I know that the Spirit of God is alive and active in them. Lord, I know that you're teaching them the ways of this great and good God, that the Holy Spirit is putting fire in their bellies, bringing revelation, activating gifts inside of them. Lord, the kingdom of God is growing like a good seed, producing good fruit in their lives. And that is what I am giving to today. And that is what we at New Life Midtown are giving to. Because we know, Lord, that these sons and daughters actually represent a small portion of all the sons and daughters of the entire New Life family. And so right now, I pray blessing. I pray blessing. Father, I pray that you would bless this legacy offering. Father, all across all of our eight congregations, as we are pooling together our resources, as we are pooling together our faith, Father, I pray that the kiss of heaven, that the multiplying exponential effect of the kingdom of God would rest on this legacy offering. And God, I pray very tangibly and very specifically that the fruit of the eradication of this debt will result in a blessing of God touching future generations. Lord, I pray that from there it would just cascade into blessing, paying off the rest of our building here at Midtown, opening up buildings for downtown and for East and for Manitou and for Nueva Vida's building to pay it off. God, I pray that the kiss of the abundance of God would rest on all of our new life families and all of our new life congregations. And I pray it today by faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, K through fifth, we love you. We bless you. We send you guys upstairs. Six through 18 years old, we love you guys. Thanks for uh, being up here in the front. Would you guys all stand together this morning, spend time bringing your offering to the front or loving on one another, and we'll come back with a word in a few minutes.
Good morning, Midtown. Thank you, Josh. For the sake of time, we're going to forego announcements today, much to Lauren's chagrin. She doesn't get to come up here and talk about a plethora of QR codes. We're going to be okay, though, because you know where to find this stuff, don't you? Yep, on the website, pick a QR code, any QR code around the building, it'll take you to all the stuff that's happening. I will highlight one, Uh, there are a handful of things left on the giving tree that is not actually a tree, it's more of a board. So we have a giving board out there. Uh, If you would like to partner with us in giving gifts to staff members, teachers, and even families at Mann Middle School. There are a handful of things. All the instructions are back there, but there's lots going on in this Advent season and through the Christmas season. So get on the QR codes, get on the website, and look at those. If you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 64. And as you are turning, I just want to mention... I'm looking at this candle. I'm like, I haven't even started preaching yet, and time is running out. These must not be organic soy-based candles. (laughs) Martha, what are we buying? I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. But it does make me feel, she said, I'm on a budget. It makes me feel very urgent here. So that wick cannot go out during this sermon. Ooh, yes, it's built-in accountability. Oh, touche. Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9, we're going to read together. It will be on the screen if you have your Bibles, read along. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down. And the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and you have given us over to our sins. And yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Lord, we're grateful to be gathered in what is such a rich and beautiful day. Even with the unexpected flurries, Lord, we have so many blessings. And you have been so good to us. I pray that you would invade the next few minutes and that you would tap on the doors of our hearts and that we would respond in kind and allow you in and that we would allow you to do whatever it is that you want to do in the midst of our hearts and our minds and our bodies. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All week, 
as I'm preparing for Advent 1, as we will refer to the first Sunday of Advent, there are four Sundays in Advent, I just wasn't feeling very Advent-y, you know, which is unusual for me. I kind of am a, I, I, like, I like me some Advent. I got my Spotify playlist uh, report for the year. Anybody get your Spotify playlist? And uh, I, I, funny enough, I watched it this morning. And it, the kind of hero that I am in my Spotify listening is the vampire. <laughs> because I listen to dark emotional music all year long. <laughs> and I'm not even an Enneagram 4. I don't know what's going on with me. But this week I wasn't feeling very Adventy, And I was even telling Bonnie last night, like, I mean, I got some things to say, but man, it hit me this morning. And I feel, for one, I feel very tired, but I feel tender. I feel so tender. And, and it's, I think, a result of all week praying for God to allow me to enter in and to feel. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know when it's going to come. And then, bam, right before preaching on Sunday morning. So here we go. You're going to get a vampire message today. <clears throat> Fleming Rutledge, who is a renowned preacher and theologian, has this to say about Advent. Those who observe Advent within the Christian community are convicted more and more each year by the truth of what is going on inside. Inside the church, as she refuses cheap comfort, hear that phrase, and sentimental good cheer. Cheap comfort and sentimental good cheer. Pastor Jade said something in the pre-service meeting about our Advent and the way that we, as the people of Midtown, participate with Advent being so beautiful that it doesn't just touch us, but that it touches the world that we touch because of the way that we are so in touch both with the truth of our lives and the hope and the promises of God for the future. And I deeply feel that this morning, and I want to feel it for the full Advent season. But what is required for that to happen is for us to slow down and have enough space and enough silence to where all of the noise, which ironically this season of life ramps up, and not slowly, it kind of skyrockets this season of life, like culturally and societally, But what is required for us to be the Advent people of God is to pause for just long enough to pay attention to what is inside. So that, not so that we can be Scrooges and not go to the parties and not give gifts and not do anything fun. Absolutely not. But so that in doing so, we are participating from a place of hope and not cheap sentimentality or good cheer. Advent assumes that honesty about what is, no matter how ugly, how sinful, or how shameful, is a necessary precursor to the truth that produces Christian hope. Christian hope is not the same thing as naivete or positivity. Some people are just generally positive. I am not one of those people. Because I am so holy, I have become hopeful. No, this is, that was a joke. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not the same thing as Christian hope. Christian hope looks into the darkness of what is 
and looks truthfully and says, this is my experience and I'm naming it before God. And also, conversely, God, this is what I know to be true about you. This is what I know to be true of who you have been to our ancestors, and I am certain you will continue to be true to our children and our grandchildren and those who come after us, but I don't understand why things are the way that they are. We are the ones who refuse to embrace cheap sentimentality and good cheer. Richard Rohr says, Advent is a call to full consciousness. I love that. Full consciousness, seeing the full scope of what is, complete with a warning about the high price of full consciousness. Because once you have seen, Brooke Frazier has this song, now that I have seen, I am responsible. Once we have seen, we are now, we now become the people who are burdened with intercession for what we do not see. Once God allows us to see and to feel a little bit of of his heart, then we become the kinds of people who God wants in the earth, who partner with him in intercession and his mission. So we are the ones who pursue and we pray and we say, God, we want to see things as they are. We want to touch the pain, the disappointment, the brokenness as it is and make us the kind of people who can fill that gap and stand in that tension. That is what it is to be an Advent people. Advent is like the church's annual checkup, complete with a full MRI and CT scan. Unfortunately for my family, we, uh, we met our deductible this year. Anybody else meet their health insurance deductible? <laughs> Six surgeries, seven tomorrow in our family this year. So unfortunately, we met our our health insurance deductible. And yesterday, this, is, this will show you the kind of positive person that I am. I Googled things you should have done when you have met your health insurance deductible. <laughs> I didn't see anything on that list that stood out to me that I liked. So I'm not going to do any of those suggestions. But this is like the church's annual checkup, Advent. Some of us are feeling very adventy because the circumstances of your life have put you in a place where longing has risen to the surface. But for some of us, this has been a great year. Or maybe it's not, but we've just become so accustomed to living with pain and disappointment, we don't even realize it anymore. I'm, I'm going to get emotional, and then I promise I'm going to preach. It might not be very long, um, but... Yesterday, uh, both of my kids, man, they were giving me the hardest time. Bonnie had a meeting, and then she was out in the, in the evening for someone's birthday party. And I was just, I was really struggling with the children yesterday, who are six and four years old. And at one point, I responded slightly less than Christ-like, and I, I, sent them, I sent them to their rooms, and I visited them both independently and just had brief conversations. And I had a conversation with Eloise, my six-year-old, and normally these conversations will go something like, I will go, okay, what's going on, blah, 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 and they respond to placate me and to say what they think I want to hear, and yes, sir, and nod their head and whatever. And I could tell that was happening, and we weren't getting very far beneath the surface, and I just said, Eloise, what's going on? And man, (laughs) Lord help me. 
She said, Dad, I'm tired, which she never says she's tired. Because if she says she's tired, that means she's going to bed early. (laughs) And then she and Lucas had just been getting into it one with another. They were, everything they were doing, within 30 seconds, they were fighting. And she said, Dad, we just need Oliver here to help us and be our big brother. And uh, I'm not going to go into the story. But those of you who know my story, Oliver is our firstborn son who passed away before she was born. But over the course of time, we've talked about him and we've, you know, there's a, a painting of him in our, in our family. And in the, the least expected times, our kids will bring him up. And it was like she was having this moment where she was feeling, and she couldn't really articulate it until I somehow, by the grace of God, discerned we need to pause, and I've got to press in a little deeper because something more than just being tired is going on. Yes, kids are tired and they act crazy, but I could tell something else was going on. And what came out of her was, Dad, I'm being the firstborn, and I don't feel like I can do it today in her little six-year-old words. And what strikes me about that is that some of us have lived with pain and disappointment for so long, we don't even know how to get in touch with it anymore. And if we're not careful, what that turns into is poison inside of us. And we begin acting out in ways that are less than Christ-like. And we keep getting stuck and we keep bumping up against these ceilings in our lives. And we don't know what's happening, but God wants to get at the heart of it. God wants to heal the heart of it. And what is necessary for that to happen is for you to slow down long enough to be able to honestly name the pain and the disappointment. So why do we participate with Advent? Well, in short, because the Christian life lived in the here and now, is one long advent. It is the living between Christ has come as a baby in a manger, lived a sinless, spotless life, died and was resurrected. And the disciples were so confused when he said, it's actually better that I go away. And so Jesus goes away. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. The disciples assume this would be days, weeks, months Probably not much longer than that. And here we are some 2,000 years later waiting on Jesus to come finally once and for all. And so we live in this perpetual state of Advent where we remember that Jesus has come. We're longing for him to come again with finality. But also we're learning to be the kind of people who can look for those moments where God is breaking in and coming in the here and now Every single day. Let's look back at Isaiah chapter 64. We're going to walk through this passage. A little bit of context. Actually, the end of this passage, which we did not read, verses 10 and 11, give us much of the context that we need to find helpful here. And I'll just read it to you. It won't be on the screen. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple, where our ancestors praised you, has been burned down with fire. 
And all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? So then we go back to verse 1. So this is our context. The people of God are now on the other side of exile. Most of the people who have returned to the city of Jerusalem have never been there before. Some of the, maybe the seniors, the elders, the legacy ministry will have been there as children and have these beautiful memories of what Jerusalem was like and what it was like to be a Jew in the beautiful temple. But many of these people have only heard the stories. They've heard their parents, they've heard their grandparents talk about it while they've been in exile in Babylon. And now finally they've been released from Babylon and they've come back only to find the city as a shell of itself. And so we hear this prayer. Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twig ablaze and causes water to boil. In other words, it doesn't take much for fire to light a twig. But what can happen once one twig is let on fire? A whole pot can boil because this one little thing happened. God, it doesn't take much for you. Just a little spark and it can change everything. This is both do you hear the anguish and the confidence. There is deep pain in what they're experiencing, but there is also this undergirding confidence of God, we know you. Verse 3, for when you did awesome things we didn't expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. What is this in reference to? The exodus. They're remembering. Our people were oppressed for over 400 years and you did the impossible, which was turn the hardened heart of Pharaoh and he released us from Egypt. God, you did the impossible by parting the Red Sea. You did the impossible by coming down in Exodus chapter 19, just a few months of wandering in the wilderness, and we're grumbling and complaining, and you yourself came down on Mount Sinai in a cloud and with fire, and the whole mountain trembled. The whole mountain shook. They've heard these stories And they're pointing their finger back at God saying, you did these things that people couldn't, the greatest story writers in history couldn't have come up with these things. You have surprised us before. Come and surprise us again. Verse 4, since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Wink, wink. We've been waiting in exile all these 70 years. It's prime time for you to act, God. We know that you act on behalf of those who have been patient and waiting. And maybe we haven't been the most patient, but we have been waiting. And so we're ready for you to do what only you can do. And then in verse 5, there is a turn. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? They're kind of just a little bit acknowledging that some of this is their fault. They're saying, God, we knew our people, we collectively, they're taking communal ownership of their situation. 
We have known because as we've been in a series on 2 Samuel and 1 Kings, Kingdom Kingdoms, for months now, you have warned us over and over and over again not to turn away, what not to do. And all we have to do is obey and worship you and you will take care of us. And we've repeatedly not done it. So they're taking some semblance of ownership here, but then keep moving. And all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. So there here is a confession of their sinfulness, but there's also something else in this passage that Advent gets at, and it is our human limitation. Yes, God, we are here in part because of our sin, but now that we're here, we don't have the power to do anything about it. It's as if our lives, as the, the, uh, the brother of Jesus, James says, are like a vapor. And in this passage, we shrivel up like dead leaves. Like it feels like that's what our lives amount to. And that's how significant our lives are. How much change can a dead fall leaf make in the world? Not very much. And the current of sin is so strong, it blows us around and it feels like we just can't even control ourselves at all. Advent leads us into confession of our sinfulness, but it also confronts us with our human limitations. The sin is real and sin has real consequences and repercussions. Friends, hear that today. Though it may feel like when you do something wrong, it just doesn't impact very many people, our sin does have repercussions. And oftentimes on people who come behind us that we don't even see. This is what they're experiencing. These were not the people who sinned in exile. Almost none of them were even born at the time they were exiled. And what have they inherited? A city in ruins. Our sin matters. Our choices matter. And also, our limitations are real. Our lives are short. We just can't do very, very much. And in just a moment, I'm going to read a prayer. And that prayer, I think, more beautifully than just about anything I've read, encompasses and encapsulates what it is to be the kind of people who take responsibility to do the things that we can, but we release the end results to God because what our lives amount to, we often have very little control over. And then I want to highlight one last thing in the, the last couple of verses here before we turn to this prayer. Verse 7, no one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. And yet, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do you hear there's just a little bit of passive aggressiveness in here? God, we're confessing our sins, that we are finite. We have real limitations. There's only so much we can do. And don't forget, you're the one who made us that way. 
We are the product of your hand. But what I love about this is the bold appeal to the covenant faithfulness and relationship that God first established. At the end of the day, we pray this prayer because you are our father. That somehow something in them recognized that their human limitations and their egregious sinfulness were superseded by the relationship that God himself established. That they knew that no matter what, they could appeal to God to come down and rend the heavens. And they had heard the stories and they knew that God would show up in ways that people never expected. Because God called them his people. And so now, they kind of throw it back in his face. Humbly, Lord, we are your people. You are the potter and we are the clay. And if you don't act, we're going to dry up as nothing. We're not a cup. We're not a plate. We're nothing useful. At this point, our sins have taken us over. But you are the God who can remake a dry lump of clay into something beautiful, something that produces life and is purposeful for the people around us. God, would you come? Because without you, all of this is meaningless. Briefly, I want you to turn in your Bibles with me. We're just going to read a few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul, some 800 years later, planted this church in Corinth. He planted the church. He set it on the trajectory that he wanted it to be on. And about 18 months later, Paul's been doing all these things. Paul's been birthing churches left and right and exhausting himself. And then he gets word that one of the first churches that he planted is not doing as well as he had hoped that they have been struggling with all kinds of, once again, egregious sins. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time and you've read the book of 1 Corinthians, you know Paul goes hard on them. Paul unleashes and holds nothing back, and he confronts their sinfulness. But you know how he starts? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, I didn't give this to them, but if they, if they get it, wonderful. This is, this is my fault, not their fault. Sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. You hear this? Paul has heard about all these crazy things, like a man who is sleeping with his father-in-law. Not like little sins, like major sins. And yet Paul boldly speaks over them. You are the ones who have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are called to be his holy people. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their Lord and ours. Verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now verse 4. It gets personal. I always thank God for you. Remember Paul knows. He's received a letter prior to writing this letter probably delivered by people from the community who were giving him a letter but also witnessing verbally to him about what's going on. And he still says this, I also thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge 
God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And then this, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, the simple Advent message for us today is that we do live in a world filled with pain, filled with disappointment, filled with left and right things outside of our control happening to us that make our lives more difficult. Before any one of us has ever committed any sin, we were first sinned against. Every single person who has ever lived is sinned against before they commit a sin. This is the brokenness of the world that we live in. And yet, Paul says, we have been given everything we need to be faithful to the God who is first faithful to us. And so, I want to read this prayer. Seth, if you're in here, you can come. This is a prayer that was written for a Catholic feast or a mass that they do annually for deceased priests and bishops in remembering the seeds that were planted, the work that was done. And this is a prayer that was written in honor of a bishop of the church named Oscar Romero. And the prayer goes like this. It's not going to be on the screen. If you, if you focus better closing your eyes, I'll just give you the benefit of a doubt that you're not asleep. And I still have about 30 seconds here, so here we go. Here's the prayer. It helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work in the earth. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness, and I can attest to that. No program accomplishes the church's mission, and no set of goals and objectives includes everything. But this is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water the seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. And we provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything. And there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. Because this enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, and an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that's the difference between being a master builder and a worker. For we are workers, not master builders. We are ministers, not the Messiah. And yet we are prophets of a future, not our own. Stand with me, church.
the Advent people are the ones who honestly look at our lives and we look at the world around us and we are neither given to despair nor do we turn a blind eye in favor of cheap comfort and sentimentality. We are the ones who look at our work, good and bad, failure and success, and we say, God, it is not much, but it is a seed that can be watered by those who come behind us. And we know you well enough to know that when you come with finality, you will make something far more than we could ever asked or imagined out of what we have given. So God, take the two little fishes and the handful of loaves of our lives and would you do something beautiful even when it looks like a pile of rubbish, like what Jerusalem looked like after the exile, something that is truly hopeless, something that should easily be given over to despair, but instead we hand it over to you, the living God, and we cry out for you to come. Communion attendance, if you would come. I want to repeat these words of the Apostle Paul, for he will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. For God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. New Life Midtown, would you hear those words as a promise over your life as you come to the table? You can exit out the left-hand side of your rows. Come receive the elements and take them back to your seats and we will partake together in just a moment. i 
Before I forget, I want to remind you that our communion attendance will remain in place, and particularly for those of you who are in a place where you do feel like inside you're just bursting with, how long, O Lord? And you would love for someone to join in prayer, that God would break through in your behalf. I just want to invite you to come as soon as we have um, received communion together. It would be about 700 years from that scripture we read in Isaiah chapter 64 before God would rend the heavens through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. And when he did, it was still something they could not expect. But it was exactly what they needed. And in this meal, Jesus has given us something that who would expect Who would expect Jesus to give us, like you would think, you know, a picture of a sword or just something powerful to sustain us until his return. And what he gives us is a prayer and these elements. And it's exactly what we need. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, let us receive the body of Christ broken for you and for me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the blood of Christ shed for the remission of our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, let us respond by singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures.
Friends, it has been good to be in the house of God together as the people of God. And now we must be sent back out into the world as ones who carry the light, who is Jesus Christ. So go full of the power of the Spirit with intercession and hope on your lips this week, wherever you go. Go in the peace of Christ. You're dismissed.